drop your balls off and sell them as trinkets. My name is Matthew Kroll. It's what's expected of us. My name is Shahir Dow. And this is the only podcast about movies, specifically the film The Perfection. Are we the perfect podcast? I mean, listen, we've done nearly a 230 Ooh, episodes. A hundred, weren't you? Yeah, well, it's like, <laughs> oh no, it's been more. This yeah, is yeah. more of our lives. Um, y- you know what? Sure, we're perfect. We're we're slowly getting towards perfection. I need a win. Mm-hmm. Uh, today, so we are the perfection. I am saying it. Uh, and now, it, listen. Here's the problem with calling ourselves the perfection. Okay. Since we are the only podcast about movies, there is no one else in our plane of existence that we can compare ourselves to. We're kind of like Adam in the Garden of Eden before Eve came along. I mean, Eve, I, Eve is the second. If vodka. you want to get biblical yeah. about it, I'm I, just saying. I, you know, I mean, like, sure, as a reference of of existing on a plane of existence where nothing else exists. Now, Adam <laughs> or us yeah. could be either the most exquisite thing known to all of existence or a hot, steamy pile of old. Uh, gym socks. Yep. It, but there's no since there's nothing to reference against. Right. We can't be the perfection. Um. But if there's nothing to reference against, who is calling us the perfection? Is it just us? No ourselves? one is because it's not a. Th- we're, we're not it. Either way, I don't like this biblical analogy anymore, given that both of us are probably atheists. Oh, you're an atheist, right? Or, <laughs> wow, we're no. getting... Whoa! Uh, I mean, yeah, non, although I, I feel Non-believers, weird. I guess, is how I'd sure, say it, in, right? Sure, in current theology or most theology. Yeah. Um, however, yeah. I do find it uh, ignorant to think that human beings are the best thing out there, and it's highly plausible that perhaps we are the construct of something else, but I don't think it's an all-loving thing that's looking out for us. I think more of it's like, look at this thing I made. <laughs> oh, so you believe there's a there's a not a higher power, but there is a entity that we may be a construct of. Yes, but I don't think uh, nothing has ever been shown to me personally, and I, I guess I'm more of a belief person than a faith person. Uh, than uh, that to show that like there's a thing looking out for us. Oh boy. Uh, other than I mean, you can now you can go. Now I'm gonna. D- oh no no, it's not, it's, I, I have no no qualms with what you're saying. No, I'm no, just no. saying we I, have veered so far. I know off. I know I know, but I was gonna say the only the only argument to my argument uh, yeah. <laughs> would be the um the fact that that. Earth is so sort of perfect for our type of our carbon-based life in a sea of uh, apparently nothingness, at least that's what we can perceive it. Uh, That could be seen as something divine, but that could also just be seen as something in a lab growing something in a perfect situation. So take your pick. Isn't that the – that's the Fermi paradox, isn't it? The – the contradiction between the lack of evidence for the various high probability of estimates of the existence of extraterrestrial civilizations elsewhere in the Milky Way. What other people have thought about this? Yeah. Oh, <laughs> yeah. Wow. A famous mathematician. Okay. Or uh, astrof- uh, Italian American astrophysicist uh, Enrico Fermi. Well, I'll tell you, Enrico. You know, you want to you want to watch a movie. <laughs> yeah. uh, you, you know, you got a Netflix account. Yeah. Ma- uh, you know, listen to this and then we- see if you want to watch the perfection. Yeah, exactly. So we will get to the perfection very shortly. A Netflix original uh, that we. Uh, this was an interesting week for us. I think we're both our schedules were kind of full, and it was like, hey, let's have, let's take the time to let's, find something. Let's kick off our shoes. Let's curl up on our respective couches, <laughs> cuddle up with a nice warm glass of whatever the fuck you want to drink, uh, and just enjoy the 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 creature comfort that new cinematic experiences uh, can possibly be delivered to you 
in in your, the comfort of your very own home. And to to that effect, I reached out to Twitter to to ask what movies we could uh, we should watch uh, for the next week. And uh, cho- the choices I put up were The Perfection, The Red Sea Di- Red Sea Diving Resort, which is the new Chris Evans film on Netflix, and Serenity. Not the um, not the Joss Whedon uh, joint, but uh, the Damn Matthew it. McConaughey uh, f- uh, Anne Hathaway joint, which I hear is just. N- I mean, the reviews I've heard for it are that it's batshit nuts. So sure. I was like, I'm in for that. But the internet has spoken. Um, coming in at a whopping 45% was the perfection, which I'm glad to say that we uh, we decided to do this week. Here's the deal. Did you even give them the option of the Joss Whedon Serenity? Did you even put that as an option? Is the Joss Whedon Serenity streaming right now? Is the I don't know. <laughs> um, but uh, so thank you, everyone, who, who voted on that on Twitter. Um, and you can always email us in with any other movies that you think are streaming right now that would be would make good candidates for weeks like this where we have <laughs> where our schedule is just don't permit us to walk the what mile to get to our movie theater. Yeah. Um, uh, email us in at onlymoviepodcast at gmail.com or hit us up on Twitter at onlymoviepod. But we know you need the hot content <laughs> is basically what we're saying. No matter what, we will deliver that hot content straight to your ear holes 100% of the time. It's just a matter of what we can talk about. We can always talk. Yeah. Like we're, we're in close enough proximity literally every day Shahir yeah where we can take it we can take an hour and discuss things right um it's just it's just you know mama told me there'd be weeks like this there and, was and, and we had to do while it. we're delivering that hot content as we as we so do every week we will occasionally be incorrect about certain things as we were last week on our episode about oh, I, fast and the furious I know this one. Hobbs and uh presents what is it hang on let me do this again the fast and the furious yes presents yep Hobbs and Shaw Right. Yes. Yes. And uh, that was our review last week, where we just started discussing the plans of the what is it? What did you call them? The cybernetic. It, they were a cybergenic cult? eugenics. No, a, a eugenics cyber death cult. Okay. There we go. Uh, we made one comment in that particular episode, which prompted uh, 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 a biochemist, no less. To it was email. actually my comment. I, I said this. <laughs> oh, so, did you? Yeah. Okay. You you were talking about a thing, and I went off on it. We'll read the tweet, and then we'll. Okay. Get it. Okay. So the email that came in was. Uh, and this is in reference to something that was said on that episode. <laughs> uh, uh, from Rafael, who is a biochemist, who I do know, who I do miss very much actually hanging out and talking with. Uh, of course, there is such a thing as antiviral or antiviral resistance. For example, HIV resistance to drugs targeting the enzyme HIV-1 protease. Yes. and I, I, would, I may be pronouncing protease we, wrong. We... Uh, we were talking about the virus in the film, yeah. and you were talking about yeah. something. You you had brought up sort of like, oh, there's like antibiotics. You didn't say antibiotics, but you said something else. I, said, I, I think I refer, uh, if, if my so what happened? Here's an interesting <laughs> thing: is as soon as I told my wife, who knows Rafael, sure about this email, she was like, "Play me the part that he's talking about." So I played it to her, and here's the the the, the fascinating thing. Uh huh. Almost word for word, she said the exact same phrases as as Rafael did, and, and including the same example of HIV resistance to drugs. Sure, but so you had said you called a thing something like "Don't they have a thing or whatever?" And you didn't say. And I, I got on the on the kick of like, well, it's a virus, and the definition of a virus is that you can't actually kill it. Like it's not something we can get rid of. That's what makes something viral. And I did not account for things that can keep viruses at bay. Like what uh, Rafael is, is sort of I think, saying. I think what I said was uh, I, I was talking about antiviral resistance, right? Like the idea that viruses morph and change and, That's and what adapt, it was. To, adapt to what's out there, which was which was an inherent flaw in this eugenic cult's plan 
Uh, and any, at any rate, both Raphael and my wife, who are in the biochemic, uh, biochemist field, pointed this out very immediately. Uh, Raphael, I believe, I, I can imagine him listening and stopping everything he's doing when he heard that phrase and just firing out this email to us well, just for just for Well, to your wife, Shahir, yeah. and to, of course, uh, Raphael. Yeah. I'll just speak to both of them directly <laughs> right now. Uh, I'm very sorry. Uh, <laughs> however, please keep in mind that my ignorance is based on the fact that for a living, I am a cartoon on the internet. <laughs> um, and I don't have all the scientific uh, facts and figures, and and I do understand that these things exist. Right. Uh, now, Rafael, <laughs> I was going to ask <laughs> I was gonna be like, let's give him like a really nerdy question that he'll never get, and no, we, we will. But a, but we won't be able to get him. But here's B, the deal. But here's the deal. We won't be able to come up with a question that. Well, no, no. I w- I could easily, but the thing is, then oh, there's you could? then there's the internet. You just okay. look up the internet. What well, what would your question be? What that my could question, get him? Raphael, if I could get you, I don't think I'm, I can. I'm bearing in mind that he is a professor of biochemistry at the Edinburgh University. Is you saying he's very busy? Uh, I'm saying he's very smart. I know he's very smart, but I'm trying <laughs> to think knows, of something that's outside of his And I'm just going to go out on a limb here and say he knows more stuff than you. A hundred percent he does. But <laughs> As our, evidenced by this email. <laughs> listen to what I'm saying. Of course a professor knows more than I do. He knows yeah. more than both, especially in the fields, and we dabbled into that because we're talking about yeah. a Hobbes and Shaw movie. We're talking about a Hobbes and Shaw movie where we didn't understand antiviral resistance. Or I didn't. I still want to take responsibility for it. I think you were bringing up a correct thing, and I sort of misread where you were going with it, and I went too hard. But if I was going to try to stump Raphael. And uh, let me let me just read out his uh, his byline from his email, by the way, just so uh, Dr. Raphael, Biomedical Sciences Research Complex, School of Biology, Faculty of Science. That's where he works, and uh, I could probably read you his bio if you wanted to. No, no, no. So, so I'm gonna, <laughs> oh, oh, wait, no. The De Silva Lab is his lab, by the way. Let's see. What <laughs> co- what couldn't he figure out or in his own lab without the internet? I'm right. trying to think of it's like actually a- his. <laughs> He owns the whole thing. It's How his, amazing it's is this lab. man? Can he be our friend? <laughs> He's my friend, and I again, I love hanging out. And he loves movies, by the way. Good, I'm uh, glad. Uh, so I can't make it a movie question. I have to find something that he wouldn't know about. Uh, let me let me just read you out his. Uh, oh Do God, it. This is gonna no. Fuck it. We're in it now. In, in the De Silva lab, which is his lab, we apply techniques of molecular biology, biochemistry, structural biology, and physical chemistry to unravel the mechanisms of enzymatic reactions catalyzed by multi-protein allosteric. I hope I'm pronouncing that right. Complexes 3 OXO carbo carboxylic acid reductases, tRNA methyltransferases, and human histidine kinases. Raphael, I'm so sorry. Particular attention is given to transition state structures, inhibitor design, and fast protein dynamics. Raphael, I just have one question. You can't Google this, okay? (laughs) I'm trying to make it science adjacent, but it is not having anything to do with science, but something that happened to this character. Raphael is also very honest. I know, and I trust him. I'm trusting him because you know him, and he wrote a very nice thing, correcting me when I was wrong. Uh, What is Splinter's original name from Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles? What was, what, before he turned into Splinter the Rat, what was his name? Mm. Okay. Bonus points if you can tell me uh, the company that the chemical came from that turned him into the rat. Email us in onlymoviepodcast <laughs> at gmail.com. Rafael, we've spent a lot of time with Thank you for writing in. Thank you for writing us in, Rafael. Appreciate that. The Blade. Hit us up on Twitter as the well. Blade. 
about uh, Hobbs and Shaw, Jonathan Blade on Twitter, who wrote to in response saying, as an action film, it is less than thrilling in my opinion. There are no stakes because there is no visceral peril. The whole movie is like FF7, which I presume is Fast and the Furious 7, uh, when they had a head-on collision, then transition into a wrench fight. The humor, charm, <laughs> and cameos carry the film for me. Uh, I Have I seen Fast and Furious 7? I don't believe You I have not. Okay. But that does exactly happen. There are two, two people, I think it's Vin Diesel and it might have been Jason Statham, <laughs> get into a chicken match in an underpass with two cars. Right. And they both smash into each other, and then they both get out and fight with wrenches. Okay. <laughs> okay. Like, the chicken match means nothing because they just get out of the cars once they smash the cars into each other. Um, I don't remember who was Jason Statham, though, so don't don't quote me on that. Um, <laughs> We're pinching a nerve here because he's saying things with less confidence than I think. I just don't want Rafael could be around the corner. Rafael might know. He might know that I don't know the things. Um, no, I just don't remember. Okay, thank you, Jonathan. Uh, also, uh, a new listener, uh, AJ Workman on Twitter, uh, who decided to tweet us for the first time uh, with this comment, which I think was uh, which I think was uh, great. Man, I do not get your taste in movies, only movie pod. Nitpicking very good movies to death while gushing over I Am Mother is very confusing. I enjoyed the first 30 minutes of I Am Mother, fine, but the rest of the film was so generic, predictable, uh, that to me it almost became unwatchable. Whoa. To which I responded, which nits did we pick? Just to, you know, just to clarify. Uh-huh, yeah, well, because that's important. Uh, and AJ responded to with so many. I recently found you guys <laughs> and have listened to probably 30 episodes oh, thank you, of AJ. a lot of my favorite movies, and it just seems like even when you like a movie, you still spend 80% of the show talking about what you didn't like about it. It could just be the ones I've heard. AJ, uh, <laughs> welcome to film podcasting. <laughs> yeah. Welcome <laughs> that, yeah. Not even us, just... <laughs> Well, maybe there, there might be some positive ones out there that just sort of gush when they like stuff. I like. I think we gush. I think. We, I think we I, gush too. We, we gush when they're when we are appropriately enthralled. But by I them. also feel like it's as we did with I Am Mother. Yeah, I, I think uh, I, I think it's important and interest more interesting to be actually really to hit the nail on the head to talk about not only the things even with something that we loved, but mention things that we don't like that don't work for the things that we love. Yeah. Uh, also, side note, AJ. If mother felt like what 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 was the terminology? Uh, generic and predictable. Yeah. Send me your list of films because I, that you like watch all the time because I will watch them. Okay. Like that's like I'm pumped for that. Like I, get me to the place where mother I am mother feels predictable and my brain I would be a happy person. I think we're we're sailing on an island of I am mother by ourselves. There's been a few comments that have come back on Twitter about our Bring review it. of I am mother. Bring it. Uh, but I'm happy to. I I I I rewatched that film and I I stand by what I said. Own it on the Blu-ray. AJ, thank you so much for writing in. Uh, I appreciate that. But now I'm going to turn our attention just before we get to the perfection to the new uh, film critic on the block, uh, the film critic in chief uh, of of the nation. Uh, so to speak, because I want to talk about a little thing that happened this week. We don't normally do uh, current events and news on this podcast. Yes, we do. Well, we, we try to relate them to the movie we're discussing. Um, but the film that I want to talk about is Craig Zobel's film, The Hunt, which was uh, due to be... For Red October. <laughs> uh, no. No? No. That was, was that Philip Noyce who did... Uh, <laughs> Philip Noyce. <laughs> no, 
Noyce. I don't think it is, actually. I don't think uh, it is. No. The but I love that name. Oh, you don't know Philip Noyce? No, he directed, who's Philip Noyce? He's a director. He uh, directed Quills. He directed, I thought he directed The Hunt for the Red October. Let me, let me, I got to do this now. I like uh, this though, Philip Noyce. No, well, he's Australian and it's N-O-Y-C-E. And I know, no, but John, I like it. It was John McTiernan who did that. Um, I'm trying That's to think. Right. Philip Noyce also did Rabbit Proof Friends, which you may not have seen. Uh, oh, he did, he did Invasion of the Body Snatchers, I believe, as well. Oh, cool, cool, cool. Um, so anyway, great director. Nothing to do with what we're talking about. Nope, nothing to do with the tangent of what we're also talking about. <laughs> That's either. exactly right. So we're going to talk about The Hunt. Uh, and the reason I think this is interesting is so in recent weeks, uh, there's been a fascinating turn of events uh, related to something that we did talk about on our podcast, which was in our episode on The Farewell. We, well, I, I managed to bring in the conversation around the topic of the phrase, go back to your own country, which had been popularized and reintroduced into, into popular culture because of the film critic-in-chief, I'm going to say at this point, because of what, uh, what he's been talking about this week. Are we but, talking about Trump? Uh, we, we're talking about this guy. Yeah, yeah. We're talking about Donald Trump. Oh, wow. And Donald Trump basically said um, to the four congresswomen on the Democratic side to maybe yes, they should go I back mean, to their yes. own country, which was quickly labeled as racist. Because um, it is. Uh, Actually, not quickly ra- not, not quickly, quickly labeled, uh, in fact. Many... Somehow debated <laughs> about. Yeah, but... uh, spoiler alert, it's racist. Right, right. And um, and then there was an interesting fallout which happened after that. This is all going to lead back to the hunt, and I want to I explain how we got there. But essentially, uh, House Oversight Committee Elijah Cummings started to- uh, talking about these these tweets, the the go back to your country tweets, and for some reason, and I remember when I saw this on Twitter. I don't follow Mr. Trump on Twitter, but I will, you know, I'll see tweets that pop up, and I will. How can you uh, not? I will look at them uh, because I feel like we're giving fuel to that, and also. No, no, no. no I'm saying, how can you like the media cycle? You, you I don't follow him either, but I see every right, fucking yeah. tweet because it's on the news. Right, and and we're kind of fueling that right now as we speak. Oh it's, God! Um, but at any point, Elijah Cummings tweeted about you know men, talked about this being racist, and for some reason, unprompted, out of nowhere. Donald Trump called Elijah Cummings racist, which I was like, I was just baffled by. I couldn't, I couldn't quite wrap my head around uh, yes. how, how we got to that point. Well, it's the I'm rubber and you're glue uh, strategy. Yeah, yeah, pot calling the kettle. I'm is, not yeah. this, you're this. Yeah, it was, it was very strange. I, I was like, I was baffled by how this exchange had happened. And then suddenly, and then after that, something interesting happened, which was on Fox News. Fox News. <laughs> Nothing interesting happened. <laughs> Fox News started dis- started kind of like a roundtable discussion about a particular film that was coming out called The Hunt, which was directed by Craig Zobel. Craig Zobel is an interesting director. I've seen I've only he's made uh, three four feature films. Uh, I've only seen one of which is Compliance, which is an excellent film. Uh, but he's also one of the co-creators of Homestar Runner. So if you're new to the internet, uh, go check Hell out yeah. <laughs> go check out Homestar Runner. It's a it's great. If I ever get a tattoo, it'll be a Trogdor. Um, Trogdor. <laughs> But at any rate, The Hunt is a new film coming out, directed by Craig Zobel, written by Damon Lindelof uh, and Carlton Cuse, um, who uh, famously wrote Lost and are writing the new adaptation of Watchmen, uh, wrote The Leftovers. Uh, Craig Zobel directed a few episodes of The Leftovers, which is how he probably got so his hand on So some decent pedigree we got. Uh, his hand on the script. Now, the script is sort of a, a modern-day adaptation or a modern-day twist on the most dangerous game. Yep. You know, the idea of man is the most uh, uh, most dangerous game, The but, you know, the hunter hunting of human beings also uh famously uh turned by jean-claude van damme and john woo in the movie hard target which i believe is a is an also an adaptation yeah, kind of most dangerous game at any rate someone got a hold of the the original script and there's something in the script which says something along the lines of 
let's go hunt some deplorables. And and uh, this got you know bandied around on Fox News. Donald Trump must have seen this and started tweeting about this. Again, I, I feel like this is coming off the Elijah Cummings, the, the, the go back to your country thing. And this is what he tweeted. Um, Liberal Hollywood is racist at the highest level with great anger and hate. They like to call themselves elite, but they are not elite. In fact, it is often the people that they so strongly oppose that are actually the elite. The movie coming out is made in order to inflame and cause chaos. They create their own violence and then try to blame others. They are the true racists and are very bad for our country. Now, uh, the other missing component to this is the, uh, of course, terrible shootings in uh, El Paso and Dayton, uh, Ohio, that happened, and Mm -hmm. uh, Universal had uh, already kind of decided to pull back on some of uh, the marketing for this film because because they felt that, you know, it would be in poor taste to kind of uh, be yep. promoting a film with uh, extreme violence as, as oh, gun as, violence and uh, gun violence as, as this one is, um, and and swiftly after this sort of uh, barrage of tweets and and comments from the president, which again, like the Elijah Cummings tweet, completely out of left field, uh, don't quite understand what it means. Universal decided to pull the film, um, and and uh, and and they 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 basically issued this statement, which was. Uh, while Universal Pictures had al- already paused the marketing campaign for The Hunt after thoughtful consideration, the studio has decided to cancel our plans to release this film. Mm. We stand by our filmmakers and will continue to distribute films in partnership with bold and visionary creators like those associated with this satirical social thriller, but we understand that now is not the right time to release this film. This has been an interesting week. Uh, this is fascinating, the idea to pull this film based on this sort of nonsensical... Um, set of tweets from uh, you know again the film critic in chief. Well, there's based on a movie that nobody has really seen. Yeah. Oh, point. that's the thing. There's a couple. There's a lot of things. First of all, thanks Donald for mm. taking our job. Yeah. Um. Cool. Uh, um. Second, uh, you got to tell me how you're doing it without seeing the movie because that would be really <laughs> helpful to do. Uh. But third, and in all seriousness, the the most interesting thing about this story for me is from everything that I've been able to glean. Uh, it actually <laughs> paints, let's call the people that would be called, like, it paints the, quote, deplorables, or well, mm. I, I guess, what What do we, As, uh, or let's just say, uh, you know, it paints uh, people who support Donald Trump, or the, the general mm. consensus, of, I don't know how to put it, whatever we, however we want to label these folks, the ones that say they're being persecuted. Right. It kind of paints them as the heroes and the, quote, elites, as he's sort of said, which I've never heard anyone call themselves an elite. Yeah. Um, the, though maybe I'm just not elite enough. Um, the, the It paints the elites as the psychopathic villains. Right. Um, now, granted, again, no one's seen the movie. Right. We don't know. Uh, but I find it so so interesting because... You know the 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 need to latch onto a thing to be outraged about and anything 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 <laughs> that uh, the you know for lack of a better term the Republican Party can point away from you know guns maybe yeah. having something to do with gun violence. <laughs> I, look, I don't know. I'm not a scientist. Okay, we've proven <laughs> that. Raphael, Raphael, <laughs> you know I'm not a scientist. Okay, email us in on your thoughts about gun control. <laughs> <laughs> No, stick with the splinter question. It's much easier. Um, <laughs> this, I, I just, I'm. Uh, we're heading into topsy turvy land. I'm very curious how this 
continues to play out. Uh, there's already been some interesting backlash, uh, not backlash, but some comments made about Taika Waititi's new film, uh, Jojo Rabbit, which features him playing a sort of satirical version of Adolf Hitler. Sure. Um, I'm really curious as to like, uh, I feel like people are saying the quiet part out loud when they're suddenly accusing these films of being racist, when these films deal nothing, have nothing to do with racism, so to speak. Like, I think the, the, the sort of mind leap that you have to do here is basically start to equate racism uh, as prejudice and prejudice as prejudice against political ideological beliefs. And that is what the president is determining is racist. Spin the story, man. Um, spin and, and spin I think the story. Spin what the story. Spin what the components of the story mean. I mean, it, that's been the entire time. Yeah, it's, it's fascinating to see like the wheels turn to connect those dots into that place. And then we get this film canceled. I mean, I, I'm... I'm very fascinated by this story. Um, the truth of the matter is, you say like the wheels turning and get the thing canceled. That would that would that would imply that there's a machine filled with wheels with have gears on them, and then they're turning and moving a thing. When actually, it's just piles of dog shit thrown <laughs> into a giant grinder, and then maybe something happens if there's enough dog shit pushed onto a thing. <laughs> so, the, the, I guess I'm saying the gears are dog shit, right? I mean, this has happened before with, uh, I believe it was the North Korea film that Seth Rogen and James Franco put out. Uh, I forgot what it was called. The, uh, you know, and this was the 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 film was kind of uh, associated with the release of sensitive information by Sony Pictures. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And uh, and then that release kind of got conflated into like the, there could be a terrorist threat associated with the release of this film. Yada yada yada. Um, I'm. I feel. I feel terrible for Craig Zobel. Uh, the film was the interview. That's right. Um, I feel terrible for everyone involved in this film. Um, that sucks. But, but I'm also. I, I guess part of the things I've been talking about recently, uh, in in relation to an upcoming episode that we've been sort of teasing out for a while on violence in cinema, uh, is the relationship between society and cinema. Um, but this is never quite. I think what I was trying to imply that there's a direct correlation like i don't i don't believe you should pull john wick three uh if a mass shooting happens uh because of john wick three right um but it's fascinating that we're getting into this conversation i think it's spiraled out into sort of the weirdest echelons of the twilight zone as far as i can tell uh but if you have a thought or opinion about um the the withdrawal of the hunt and whether it makes you more interested to see it whether you would have withdrawn it based on what happened in el paso and daytona not toledo by the way um yeah. please email us in at onlymoviepodcast at gmail.com or hit us up on twitter at onlymoviepod with you with your thoughts on this the last thing i'll say is um the 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 actual science that people have done to to research sort of all of these things be it violence in cinema or video mm -hmm. games or or the way the way the way media can affect the social consciousness or the individual mind uh there is no uh correlation between viol watching violent acts and committing violent acts but there are some very interesting, basically, studies on uh, secondary order effects, second order effects, mm -hmm. that talk about while like watching a ton of violent things will not inherently make you violent if you are not violent already. What it will do is normalize you to the idea of violence. Right. And now, then you could sort of take that and be like, well, maybe on the individual scale, that's you know, however it plays out. But then, what does that do to a society? You know, there, there's there's a lot of there's a lot of interesting like legitimate studies, and not just fear mongering to get us away from something that could definitely curb some violence fast. 
uh, gun control. Uh, also, I you know I won't even get into my thing on guns. It's a bigger topic, but right. I am not like take away all guns. I'm like, hey, maybe we should check out people who might want to buy them. Um, <laughs> the red flag rule. Right? Anywho, yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, you know what'd be great is if we could just get a, a perfection bill passed <laughs> that fixes all of the problem. I tried transitioning. I tried it. And I'm bailing out. <laughs> yeah, you I'm should bail bailing out. out. I can't do it. We we covered a lot. We we've gone off the rails. Biochemistry, uh, film criticism, politics, politics gun control. Uh, Culture Society, Ninja Turtles, Ninja Turtles. We've, we've done it all. Now, Rafael, Rafael da Silva. Uh, now we should talk about the movie that we're actually here to talk about, which is Richard Spencer. Uh, not Richard Spencer. Why have I got gun control in my mind? Are you sure? Are you sure we should? Richard just... Shepard, and I apologize profusely to Richard Shepard for mistaking his name for another person who whom we should not speak. Sure. Of. The uh, the I was going to say we got two more minutes before we hit a half hour before talking about the film. If you really want to just stretch it out. <laughs> no, let's let's get there before we hit the half hour, Max. Uh, Matt, can you tell us what the perfection is about now streaming on Netflix? I a hundred percent can. When troubled musical prodigy Charlotte seeks out Elizabeth, the new star pupil of her former school, the encounter sends both musicians down a sinister path with shocking consequences. And shocking they will be. You like cello music? <laughs> wow. Uh Sure. Yeah, I I don't I I know a little bit about cello music. We I play, know nothing. We play Yo Yo Ma in our house quite a lot. Uh, oh, Yo Yo Ma's great though. Yeah, Yo Yo Ma. Jacqueline Dupree, I think, is the other one that I kind of know about who uh, famously got multiple sclerosis and had to stop performing at the age of twenty eight or something like that. Uh, but other than that, I'm not that well versed on the complexities of the cello. Other than this one thing, this one story. You got you got a cello story? I have a cello story. All right. Uh, and I love this story because uh, you've seen my music video, Automatica, which is uh, uh, robots playing music. Yeah, plug that. Uh, <laughs> was it like three years old now? But it's great. I'm not <laughs> kidding. You should plug that. That's my favorite thing you've ever done. <laughs> not Including this podcast. Including this <laughs> podcast. Everyone should check out Automatica. Uh, it's on YouTube and Vimeo? It's on, It's on. Uh, you can see it. Go watch. Watch it. If you haven't watched the robots playing the music, Nigel Stanford's uh, music, go go watch it, listen, download, buy, do all the things. At any rate, when we were researching that project and trying to figure out well, like how we were going to uh, uh, assign robotics to play music, one of the things I was very fortunate to do is I was invited up to the MIT Media Lab uh, up in Boston to talk with roboticists about music and robots. You fucking elitist. <laughs> yeah, I'm an elitist, yeah. <laughs> Uh, and basically, I got to have a lot of smart people talk at me, and and, and, go, me, uh -huh. and, and I was just nodding my head a lot of wow, the time. Wow, welcome to my life. <laughs> yeah. um, the interesting thing um, that one of the projects that they were talking about was they were trying to figure out a way to record the performance of Yo-Yo Ma. Uh, how do you rec accurately record a performance of Yo-Yo Ma? And I'm not just talking about an auditory performance, but like how do you accurately record his movements, how he holds the cello. And they wanted to kind of create, the, they, they were trying to figure out, could they recreate a Yo-Yo Ma performance with a robotic cello? Uh, with a robot playing cello, yeah. and 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 what they they learned was something that we learned on on the process of making that video, Automatica, which is that the human body uh, has a lot of subtlety and nuance to it, which which automation just simply cannot achieve. Um, and and there's a fascinating thing that they talked to me about, which was that 
the one of the, they couldn't quite figure out how to get a robot to play like Yo-Yo Ma because Yo-Yo Ma is you know the uh, arguably the world's most famous cello player, possibly the world's greatest cello player that's ever lived. And they talked about how I think one of the things they they mentioned was that they felt that one of the things that they couldn't capture with the robot is the intimacy with which is required to play the cello. And and this is what I think is is fascinating when I was when I was thinking about this film in relation to um into our discussion about it. The cello as they as these roboticists described it is is a rare instrument which requires you to kind of hold it and envelop it in your whole body. Oh, you're hugging it. You're hugging the entire thing, and you have to move around it um, like it's another human being. Like lovers do. <laughs> yeah, in many ways. And I think that'll play into our conversation of this film. Um, and it was one thing that they realized, you know, a, a, as an aside, that yeah. the roboticists were like, we cannot replicate that sort of sense of, sense of human... Uh, human fine motor control around an object that the that a human being has, and and there's a, for some reason uh, there's a particular way that Yo Yo Ma does it that that nobody else does, um, and that's why Yo Yo Ma might sound like the way. And that's a hypothesis they had. They don't really, they're not really sure why Yo Yo Ma is so great. It's and I think it's it's true of like great violin players, great drummers, that sort of thing. So I was fascinated to think about the cello in relation to that. What I think is what I thought was really unfortunate about this film, which is about two sort of competing cellists, is it's not very much about the cello. (laughs) Here's my problem with the style of the setup of a movie like this. Mm -hmm. The entire script is based around other characters telling you or other characters, you the audience or through them having discussions with other characters in the film, Exposition dumping how incredibly godlike talented someone is at a thing. I have no reference about the cello. I can't tell you if, I mean, I thought the music was pretty, but yeah. I can't tell you if, if what we saw in that film was good cello music or bad cello music. And I'd argue that most people that will watch this film probably can't, I mean, like elevated like Yo Yo Ma levels of, you know, you know what I mean? So whenever a film does this, and I'm not talking about just cello movies, but like any movie where there's an art form that I am not privy to, like, right. or I, I don't have a expertise in, which there are many, um, but when the characters sloppily are like, when she plays, it's the closest I've ever been to God, which is a similar line to something in this film, I'm always put on my back foot. Okay. Because in a film for me, it's never enough for characters to just tell me that another character is a thing, be right. it good at a skill or a type of person, I need to experience it for myself because otherwise, um, I read things like that as scriptwriter info dumps. Right, and it does throw me out of the experience. Uh, now, a way that I think could have handled this a little bit better in this film without, I mean, this is just sort of this one aspect, which this film is not even really about. Yeah, interesting. Um, I think that's the case. Yeah, uh, is th- they they talk about how ultimately super talented both of these cellists are in very, I would, I mean, I would argue um, trite sounding lines of praise. Right. Um and before we ever see them play. Right. And then when we see them play, uh, I was like, that's a good cello performance. Performance, <laughs> But, like, again, I don't know if it's my not knowledge of cello. I, mean, I would love it. Anyone, onlymoviepodcast at gmail.com. If you are a cellist or you feel like you can identify 
the, the closest to perfection of, of playing of the cello. Please watch this film and let us know if that's what was on display and I just didn't get it. Right. Um, it, it always puts me on the back foot of basically, weirdly, not trusting the film. Okay. Um, and that's a bad place to be when a film's supposed to be suspending your disbelief. I think maybe if they had if they had shown naturally emotional reactions to their playing or or there was sort of more about the artistry about like something like uh I, I'm trying to think of another example but basically like whiplash yeah whiplash <laughs> would be a great one the it's just I can't get behind something when it's just character A who I've met five minutes ago in a film being like did you know that this person is the most perfect cellist player and I'm like cool like right. I don't know did you get that I think there's a scene early on where um, you, there, there's sort of a dueling cello rendition between um, both characters, Charlotte and um, uh, Lizzie. Charlotte and Lizzie, um, which I think kind of is meant to sort of do that job. Unfortunately, it kind of uh, glosses over it fairly quickly and becomes a intercutting of their. It, it, as opposed to being about how good they are at the cello, it, it becomes more about how much they're attracted to each other. Yep. Um, and, and, the, and before that, that's where all the lines I mentioned happened. Even before, like, I think even if they played first and then we had the line, like, it would have sort of, like, put me, if, show me characters being moved by it. Don't have me have, don't have characters tell me how moved they are by it. I think the most telling thing about this film is, uh, uh, without giving away spoilers, there's a scene uh, where uh, we're seeing the two performers play the cello but not hearing the cello. Um, uh, towards the towards the end of the film, and I think that is the most telling thing about how much this film treats the cello as a character device. Um, and and I and I and I and I thought that was unfortunate because I think the cello, again, my experience of sort of like understanding how the cello works and this sort of level of intimacy required and that sort of storytelling required to to sort of manufacture the idea of what makes a great cello player um, was was sort of disappointed by that. Well, you know, it's interesting. I would argue. And this will sort of bring us into a further bit of the conversation, I think, uh, that this film's treatment of the cello mirrors its treatment of a lot of its other topics. Everything is a bit, at least in my opinion, mm -hmm. of uh, skin they're putting on or, <laughs> or, or something they're wearing out for the evening. Right. Uh, it, I don't think uh, it handles the cello or a couple other things in a way uh, that's something that really had something to say about the cello. I'm using I, the I, don't, cello. I don't think this film is about the cello. No, no, I'm using... Or I, even no, no. The performing the cello. No, no, I understand. But what, I'm using it as an analogy. I'm right. using the cello as all of the problems in the film. Uh, so, <laughs> like, so tell me what you thought of the movie, just generally, without giving away any spoilers. Let's uh, see. Um, I thought there were bright spots of... I will say... I won't say emotional resonance. I think I'll say emotional uh, hair pulling um, <laughs> in, in an otherwise, um, how do I put this? In an otherwise under-researched term paper. Mm -hmm. uh, it has a lot of, uh, you know, it, 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 it felt very... Um, it felt very, like, it had tones of uh, The Handmaidens, in it the a little bit. Tale? No, not the Handmaid's oh, Tale. Oh, the Handmaid. Handmaid. We the, go back to listen to our review Sean of that. Fox film. Yeah. Uh, so like that sort of like, it's horror, but it's 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 also a little bit of like body uh, body, body horror. horror. Yeah. Um, and and sort of the pacing of it and the way things are revealed echoed that to me. But it felt like a, a to be honest, uh, 
a second rate sort of uh, attempt at something like that. Mm-hmm. Um, the end of the film, and I won't get into what it is. I think I think there's specific shots in this movie that are beautiful and sort of like set up very uh, aptly. But it's one of those things where again, I feel like they like. The creators, it seemed, had so much love for specific shots and specific moments and specific actions. They probably started with those, or it felt like they started with those things and tried to build everything else off of those. Okay. Uh, which is a bit of a backwards tell, at least the backwards way from what I sort of try to tell stories. Um, I did not connect <laughs> with this movie. I, I, it falls into the middling range for me of, uh, you know, it hits every horror trope, so cool, so it works, and I like horror movies. Mm-hmm. Um, but it does miss the higher point uh, <laughs> uh, uh, topics in which it's trying to reach for, right? Uh, and therefore, and and I do have to say, uh, I think the actors are trying the their best with what they're given, right? Um, the the script, and again, I don't even think the story script, as far as I'm concerned, is bad. I think the dialogue. Never felt to me at all, not never, 80% of the time, never felt like the way a human being talks, even in a stylized way. Right. Uh, it felt like this could have been written by. predominantly by a computer trying to be a cellist. <laughs> that would be hilarious. Uh, if the, the the roboticist that I'd met had actually ch- decided, look, we're going to abandon the whole like trying to get Yo-Yo Ma to play a cello. We got instead, something for a movie. <laughs> instead, let's try and figure out how a writer would work. And, and like, but it, right? Am I crazy <laughs> in that? Like, does can you can you glean even? A, I mean, what do you? What's your take? Go go go. I think there is an interesting film somewhere buried beneath everything that we saw. I think at the heart of this, there may have been the potential for an interesting film. And I and there's two ways to look at it. Uh, one is that it's, um, it's a film that if elevated by, um, by uh, filmmakers, writers, that really were committed to the sense of what this film is trying to say about society and social order and abuse and revenge and justice, you know, as as for example, someone like Chan Wook Park, who has made you know his revenge trilogy, Old oh Boy, Sympathy for Mr. Vengeance. If the film kind of went in that direction, uh, you know, to become sort of a a more of a classy film, uh, a classy kind of like thoughtful piece, yeah. I think that's one way you could do it. The other side of it is, I think this film kind of really knowingly plays in the sort of body horror, the kind of almost giallo style, you know, Italian sort of schlocky bee horror that's, ele- you know, that can be elevated, but often knows and understands the kind of, the the world that it's playing in because the, the, so, there's so much sort of salacious and sort of provoca- pro- provocation of horror in this film, which I think, you know, films like um, um, uh, the, the, the Girl with the Crystal Plumage, or even Suspiria, for example, right. the original Dario Argento Suspiria, knowingly plays with and and you know like enjoys and knows that there is a sort of element of titillation or salaciousness about it, and really revels in that. And I think the problem is, is this film is sort of got one foot in trying to be that sort of schlocky exploitation film and one foot in this sort of like classy elevated horror and it's doing neither of them very well. And and my issue there is that I think underneath all of that, this is a film that sort of 
plays in the, the 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 rape revenge genre you know like plays in the in the sense of like how does the how, how can the world order be changed uh um after something terrible has happened to you uh you know this is films like i spit on your grave or um uh Bays Moi or irreversible you know like a, there's a whole slew of films um ingmar, ingmar bergman's film the virgin springs for example mm -hmm. um whole slew of films that play in this genre and this is i i think was poised, in my opinion, to do that very well. It's undercut entirely by, um, by in my, I, I think the thing I can put, point it right down to is bad writing. And bad writing, which is not, uh, which doesn't quite understand how to deal with those topics in a way that is either sensitive or so exploitational that it's hard to kind of deny it. And the, neither of those options are great options. They require, you know, someone with a sort of uh, verve to kind of do that. You know, like uh, uh, Luca Guadagnino remade Suspiria and really reveled in the kind of exploitation of it, sure. particularly in the last third. I don't think this is that kind of filmmaker. This felt like the base of a soup. Yeah, like I, and it's a soup that could either be like if you added enough ingredients, be like a real cool tasting soup, or could like completely be a chowder if you started adding other stuff. And it doesn't quite know. It's like a it's like a stock, right? Uh, I've heard reviews of this film, which treat it as one of the most offensive things that's ever been committed to screen. Yeah, and I and like. I've listened to people talk about this online. Again, we're a little bit late to the party on this particular film on the perfection, but uh, a few months ago, this was this movie was blowing up the Twitter feed. So you know we're on the pulse. Yeah, we're we're definitely on the pulse of the. Jump uh, in your time machines <laughs> and take this with you because it's going to be a raucous time. In at least ten years, we're going to review the hunt. Um, <laughs> <laughs> you know, um, just to sort of get back on that train. Uh, um, so I I really I think there's a lot of interesting things in this film, and I think. It, there, there's uh, in terms of like I think there's an interesting editing technique that's used in this film, but it's used terribly in this film. What the rewind physics? The rewind for yeah. It, <laughs> I, I, I was just like I was baffled when it happened the first time. I was just confounded when it happened the second time. And I think the problem is is it's used without an understanding of what that device is supposed to do, um, because it essentially reveals information to us that we kind of already knew. It's gonna it, confuse you, man. It doesn't transfer form what we've seen um it, in, you know which i was like this is not the reason to do that trick it tried to gone girl hard and then just couldn't do, like gone like, girl doesn't have that technique no no but, doesn't but, have the technique he, but 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 without that technique gone girl as a film does an amazing job of doing what they were going for without a weird kind of cheesy rewind I mean, thing. like, like the, it hits. That's the punch they were going for, and it never landed. The the film that does this rewind trick so brilliantly, and is a film I don't actually love that much, but understands what it's doing with that, is Michael Haneke's film Funny Games, which he remade in America as well. I haven't seen the American remake, so I'm not sure if it does that exact same trick. Although mm -hmm. I think it's a shot for shot remake. <laughs> um, but he employs the rewind technique directly and technique i like that. technique uh and he does it for a very very specific reason so he understands completely why he's doing it um i think this movie gets into a really interesting area of body horror that is connected to um you know essentially the 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 rejection of one's body after uh sexual assault and sexual abuse and mm -hmm. and and i think it i think it has the elements to do that with an interesting take. I don't think this film, unfortunately, 
delivers an interesting take. And it's, it is unfortunate because there's a lot of this film that I kind of like. And it's, it's that case where I can, I can peer into this and I can see that there are the inner workings of potentially an interesting film. This is not that interesting. But you film, know what's though. interesting? Uh, but you know what is interesting? What is interesting? Uh, is the, the discourse that I sort of was catching up on too before we did this about when this came out and how people were either praising it as this ultimate empowerment thing or just just damning it to hell for like just being the most atrocious thing anyone's ever seen and treating these issues just so cavalierly. Uh, it doesn't do either of those things. Like, it's so middle of the line. Like, I can't see anyone getting outraged at this film. Like, the, to be outraged by this film, I can't imagine it because it did not affect me emotionally whatever, and I, I, whatsoever, and I think that's due to the, what you said. I think it's due to the writing. Mm-hmm. Like, the topics are incredibly emotional and compelling and important to discuss. Um, the, but, but, but the way that... The way that it is, the, the lens in which we are shown this through, and I don't even mean the cinematography, I literally mean the words the characters are speaking. Yeah. Knock it immediately out of anything I would ever take remotely seriously. And that sucks. Like, yeah. but I can't, I, I couldn't, I, I couldn't imagine. I was reading the reviews one way or the other, and I was like, wow. <laughs> like, it almost felt like I, I I I just realized I made absolutely no friends with that statement. <laughs> but <laughs> but like it felt like backlash to a backlash to a backlash right like it almost felt like yeah there's some problematic things here we are in a culture of of let's get mad at, at, at a thing and then people are going to come back and backlash the backlash and be like actually and then go like have a thing have a battlefield to fight on right um but but what it comes down to it is there's a bunch of other films that tackle these things and you could argue about the validity or, yeah. <laughs> or anything uh and they they get the message across a million times better. And maybe it's easier. Maybe that's what it is. Maybe it is easier to take something that, and I'm ta- not talking about the topics it tackles or what actually happens in the film, but to take a a a, a, a cinema experience, a movie, if you will, <laughs> uh, that is kind of middling in quality. Mm-hmm. And when you then try have it try to deal with issues, whether or not it does them successfully or not, more like middle, like five out of ten, that might be easier for people to latch on their specific politics or opinions onto because there's less because both parties, even though I think the outrage is overblown, are correct. Right. So I, there's more ground to stand on. That that's a that's a real hypothetical that I'm not sure how you would test the hypothesis. You can't. Um, that's how good I am. <laughs> uh, <laughs> I don't. I, the thing is, is that I think this movie is an easy target because there's a lot of ineptitude in this film in terms of the way it's delivered and the way it's put together. Not least of which is the rewind technique. The other is the dialogue. The the other is the kind of the the film is essentially two halves. One that is sort of mildly interesting and one that kind of makes no sense. Yep. Um, After so the first rewind, yeah. it stops making sense hard. <laughs> it no longer takes place in reality. The, uh, but I, now we're going to get into, let's go straight into spoilers. Let's we're, go. We're 50 minutes in. Let's get into spoilers. <laughs> uh, so we realize very quickly on uh, that um, uh, Charlotte 
uh, for some reason has set her sights on Lizzie, and we initially think that it has to do with the sort of professional jealousy because Charlotte has um, uh, left behind the professional cellist world um, to look after her sick mother and is now coming back to it, realizing that her time has kind of passed. Initially, I thought that was an interesting idea. Uh, but again, executed poorly because there's a shot in the beginning where she's sitting with her mother who's finally dead in the room, and then there's like two caretakers like just talking at normal volume with the door open eight feet away from where uh, she's sitting talking about like well I don't know what she's going to do maybe she'll go back to music I mean it's the only thing she knows and I'm like thanks two minute in info dump in a really stupid way I was like this is what I'm getting ready for I was prepped they, okay. they told me how the story would be unfolded to me well I think what happens is that the first film kind of plays with the idea that this is a there's a mutual attraction at play between Lizzie and Charlotte uh, and they begin a sexual relationship that sw- quickly Bafflingly, baffle, bafflingly uh, evolves into uh, a sort of like, let's travel through China together. Cello Rough. playing is code for sex. Apparently in this film, yes. Dueling cello is, uh, is another way of describing sexual intercourse. Okay. Um, and uh, they, they end up on a road trip through China um, where <laughs> one of them... <laughs> Worst bus trip <laughs> Ever. Where one of them contracts seemingly a virus. Uh, <laughs> they that, also do set that up. They're like, oh, there's a virus in the South. Yeah. Because like, someone pukes in the. And, and I'm, I'm not thing. certain how the, the person who pukes at the cello performance is that's like part of uh, Charlotte's setup, or it's just coincidental no, it, that he pukes yellow and the same color as Lizzie pukes yeah, later on. It's because it's not set up or implemented correctly. No, it's, it's, it's made to be a bit of a like red herring thing, but yeah. they don't do enough with it or without it to have it actually mean anything. And it's so it's so specific. It's like uh, Chekhov's vomit at this point. You know, like it does, you know it's going to come back, but it's uh, such an awkward thing to bring back. Back. Yeah. Um, but uh, eventually, Charlotte and Lizzie end up on the road in China. Uh, this bus trip is done really badly, by the way. This bus trip uh, should have been edited uh, probably by another 10 minutes or something like that to be sh- much, much shorter. Here's it a, repeats information so often. 100%, but I will say, I don't think it would. Well, maybe this means it was. this was the part of the film that was effective for me. Mm. I didn't enjoy watching the bus trip scene. Yeah. But you know what it did? It gave you the feeling of being stuck on a terrible bus. <laughs> and listen, I, I'm saying that as a compliment. Right. Because I, I've been on some terrible buses. Right. And and I've also been in places where like you have to either throw up or 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 take a shit or something yeah. and you can't. Like there's no option. And that feeling of wretchedness and terror and sickness right. elevate. Like I was in this moment, even though I a hundred percent saw. Yeah, it should have been shorter. It was put together poorly. But for whatever reason, maybe it wasn't because I felt like I was on that bus forever. And I think that's what it maybe maybe it was a happy accident or maybe they planned it. Right. But like that was the the only time in this film where I'm like, I am with these characters. <laughs> I understand emotionally exactly what is happening. Huh. Whereas I was watching it going, okay, Charlotte's clearly involved in Lizzie getting sick. And the longer we extrapolate them getting on and off the bus. The like ibuprofen t- tablets yeah, which that are, are like which are giant. Yeah, long. exactly. It's, you know, like she hands her the ibuprofen tablets, which makes her sick the next day. It's 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 very obvious that, yeah. this, is, that this is the case. And the longer that they're kind of like getting on the bus and off the bus and, and like trying to figure out where the next town is and yada, 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 the longer I'm going, well, this is just kind of like taking up space for what I think is 
the least interesting part of the story. I thought it was the most interesting part. <laughs> and, then, and then and then to have a and then the film kind of does this rewind thing to retell me the that information that I kind of like. I'm you kind of knew right that 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 there's nothing in the rewind that you couldn't have guessed with one line of dialogue or have established with one line of dialogue. Sure, you, like, like you, they could have, you know, done even more. even literally just her putting up, holding up the the axe and saying the cleaver. You, the cleaver, you know what you have to do. It's kind of like, oh well, she's involved. And st- and then and then they rewind and go, no, no, wait, just in case you missed it, she's, she's involved, involved uh, in all of this. Uh, yeah, um, look at all the setup <laughs> she did. Um, but so I found that first part pretty pretty, you know, like. Not just reveling in the bee horror side of it, you know, but like far more inept, more than anything. But again, gave me that feeling you of being on that feeling. bus. But for me, the second half, when we go back to uh, the house of Anton, uh, the Bakov house, I think it's called, or yep. something along those Where lines. Where the cellists are all trained. Where the cellists are trained. This is almost a different, almost feels like a slightly different movie. But Lizzie returns to the, the house of. Uh, with the, one hand. With one hand now uh, chopped off. Um, and and is and is thrown out. Discarded. Charlotte is nowhere to be seen. No one knows where Charlotte is. No one's even looking for her. Apparently, she's just in Missouri. Yeah, she's just at home, basically. Um, and, no consequences. Yeah, exactly. And and uh, Lizzie decides to to take vengeance upon Charlotte by going to hunt her out, and she brings her back to the house as a sort of gambit to get herself re. Uh, reinstated back in her place in the house. You know, she offers to teach or what have you. Now, this last act of the film, where basically the last twist comes in. Again, I saw what the twist was. I understood what the twist was as it was happening. But I think this is where the film has something of interest to say. Something. Not, and not, not, it's not particularly profound, but it is this idea of like, again, it's, it's the, 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 part of which rape revenge films kind of deal with which is like the consequence of being assaulted and being manipulated and 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 what does justice mean in that scenario and the thing i want to bring back now is why i think this movie is interesting that we're talking about this week as well um and why it why it may have touched a nerve and the kind of i guess in the me too kind of sense of the world uh when it did uh back in was it april may, may or something like that um is you know like if you think right now about Jeffrey Epstein, yeah, or Larry Nassar, or people who are serial abusers who seemingly uh, skate above uh, the wheels of justice. Sure, um, for long periods of time. Uh, for those of you who aren't following the news, Jeffrey Epstein is a famous uh, uh, billionaire um, businessman who has been. All of those uh, are in hard air quotes, by the uh, way. Yeah, uh, allegedly, uh, you know, fairly convincingly at this point, proven to have been running uh, a prostitution, oh, sca- uh, you know, sex ring out of his house underage. With, with underage girls. Yeah, and I'm not hard air quoting all that stuff. I'm hard air quoting mm. businessmen and right, billionaires. Right, right. Yeah, yeah. And uh, and uh, Jeffrey Epstein, who was uh, who who managed to go to trial in Florida uh, and get a plea deal, which allowed him to basically go to prison for 13 months with eight or nine hours of the day able to leave the prison. Um, Longer than that, he yeah. got he got like weeks off to go to work. He got yeah. eight or nine hours a day. 
Yeah, that's what I said. Oh, eight, sorry, I thought you meant a week. Pardon, no, no, eight, eight, eight or nine hours a day to go to to to, to go back to his home, uh, which left a lot of people wondering, like, how does the justice system work in this scenario? And he was due to be retried in New York uh, um, uh, with the same material, but committed suicide last week. Uh, as we're recording, this will be a couple of weeks after this episode comes out. Yeah. Um, and, and the thing that's interesting there is that question mark that I think the film is asking is what is justice in this scenario and what is Charlotte's plan? And the reason I think this is interesting in that in the rape revenge genre of film, which there's been a fair amount written about, Mm -hmm. I found this uh, interesting article in uh, slate.com written by Lena Wilson. Um, And she wrote this, uh, media teaches us that men solve their problems with violence, whether navigating grief, as in John Wick, Memento, American Assassin, or recovering their damseled wives, lovers, daughters, as in Taken, The Spy, Love Me, or Sherlock Holmes. Literally everything. Men fight their way out of everything. Game developers and filmmakers alike seem to think that in order to achieve gender parity and on-screen representation, women should get the same treatment. It becomes feminist for women to solve their problems by beating the shit out of them. If rape is the pinnacle of male disregard for female life, what do we accomplish by presenting the protagonist who gleans and internalizes that violent indifference? Our protagonist is transformed, but she converts from one male fantasy to another, wide-eyed damsel to hardened action hero. I actually have a, 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 a similar in tone, but different sort of read on it, I think. Which might, I don't know. Uh, this is from uh, Vox uh, by Aja Romano, mm-hmm. who wrote... Uh, this is sort of in the middle of the review of the film. The perfection has nothing new to say about women's experiences of sexual violence. In fact, it offers us a fetishized version of female vengeance, one that ultimately seems far more like an extended male fantasy of domination than an authentic vision of female characters overcoming systematic rape culture. That's that's interesting. I think there's two reads... um that, that I think are fascinating. And, I, we just did two reads. Yeah, that was did, literally what we just did. We just did two reads. Well, my point is there is I, I don't 100% agree with with that Vox quote because of the, the thing that I think is prevalent in the rape revenge genre of films, which is which I think has always been problematic with this particular genre of films, which is that there is a, a fetishization of the assault itself in most of these films. You know, films like I Spit on Your Grave, films like Irreversible, to, mm-hmm. you know, essentially play out in two halves. One is the assault, the second is the the revenge. And the problematic part of that is is that whether there's a, a salaciousness to the assault or a sure. fetishization of the assault. And what I thought was actually interesting about this film is its willingness to not show us the assault and to not actually depict what happened to these people but just let us know that it was terrible i mean it kind of did it 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 goes right up to the line i mean it doesn't show the assault but it sets you up real hard with some fucking terrible imagery if you've ever seen i spit on your grave or irreversible then you know what i mean when i say it doesn't show you the assault Sure, you know, and that's and that's what I think was actually powerful about the way this film kind of treated that was it, it because the the argument that I think has always been placed against the rape revenge film is that the the filming or the 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 depiction of those rape revenges is another form of victimization. But it kind of I don't know if this is going to be something that will uh, uh, hold up to scrutiny. This mm-hmm. next opinion, it kind of replaces the salaciousness of seeing the horrible act mm-hmm. uh, play out with kind of a different sort of salaciousness with the with the intimacy in the beginning. Like it's it's mm. it's doing a safer version of it, which again could be okay. Like or or more okay than the other ones. I just feel like this is my whole point overall. Okay. I think I could tell within minute or I thought at least within minutes, I was like, mm-hmm. oh, this was written by a dude. 
Like, mm. and then as I watched it thoroughly, that didn't go away. And I know there's three writers in this film. Two of them are men. One, one's mm. a woman. Mm-hmm. Um, but this whole thing, for lack of a better term, felt like tone deaf, tone deaf dudeish. Like I would have thought was edgy or correct in college, or like like it felt very young. Man. So you're talking about the um, the sexual relationship at the beginning of the film. I'm not just talking Lizzie about Bachelet. that in particular. I'm talking about the whole film at this point. Okay. Like I just. The, the combination of the dialogue, like mm. oh my god! So now we can talk about that. So even that in the beginning thing, like the 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 sexiness of sort of intercutting those three moments of of time in a way, right. like where they're talking about the 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 look at those people who are cheating on their spouses. It gets me wet. Yeah, and, and like not even just that line, just the whole thing and the whole way it played out and the words that they were saying. Like you could do that in a sexy non. Uh, again sort of ignorant dude sort of take and this was just like oh yeah this is what a dude finds hot and i was like okay like cool Hmm. i guess i uh the only thing i would say there is i found all of that to feel consensual and as as much as as much as as it's like movie you know movie sexy as opposed to like real sexy um i'm talking about i think two disparate issues here because because I, i i don't the the issue that i'm talking about is i don't feel like we get to see or revel in the victimization you are 100%. Of, Char- of Charlotte, which I think is what I think you know. This film had an interesting opportunity to play with. Um, there's another film, Death and the Maiden, with Roman Pol- uh, with the Sigourney Weaver, directed by Roman Polanski, and I think that is a film which does a similar thing that this film was trying to do, which is that it places in our mind the same doubt of circumstance that that the character is trying to identify with. I think that was that was potentially an interesting idea in this film. Inevitably this film kind of like eventually gets into the like uh, there is a big bad guy. Sure. And and, I w- and, and, and and but but we what I think the film the reason why I think there's an interesting idea here is the film doesn't re-victimize or re-litigate that victimization by showing it to us. 100%. I was sort of equating two different things. I, <laughs> I'm saying, and I, I think that, that that is a smart move, and I, and the smarter, probably the smartest move this movie does is not showing the actual right. thing. Uh, and, 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 but what I, was, what, what I was sort of equating it to was the movie said, we're not going to show that thing because it's not important and we shouldn't do that or whatever, whatever the reason things were. But then they also were like, but we still need to make it like... We still need people to like be like that sexy, so that they went back to a different sort of trope. I, I guess I don't see that as being Maybe terribly I'm, problematic. I don't uh. think it's, and I think still it's a, it's <laughs> a, it's a, it's the best move they could have made with the subject matter that they were doing. I'm just saying that yeah. I think that's why they. Th- I guess this is my point. Yeah. I think that is why they were comfortable in not doing that. Is right. they've replaced it with something more acceptable in the film, which again is fine. But they're just they're 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 taking a a thing that would they're replacing a problematic salacious thing with a much less problematic yeah. uh, uh, salacious thing. Well, the other part of that problematic thing, which is related to what Lena Wilson wrote here, which is about um, the idea that rape revenge films basically re re uh, essentially equate gender parity with like the ability to like fight fight off your demons or to like you know fight off the abuser or beat the shit out of them essentially and i think there's a smart way in the film is made in that in that part where we don't actually see a lot of the the film isn't really that interested in the mechanics of the fighting and the how people get out of scenarios you know it's just kind of like okay this is going to happen and i think to me the last image of the two players yeah uh playing the cello together 
was a fascinating image. It was super cool. And it was a beautiful image. And I was like, man, this film is really working to get us to this point. That's what I was saying. But it's taking all the wrong steps to get there. I'm, that's literally my point from the beginning. It feels like they had this image of two women whose hands were damaged, who were cello players that now have moved. Right? Well, so yeah, yeah, for the most part. Yeah. Uh, the Two halves becoming one. Exactly. It's beautiful. It's like well, left hand and right hand from two different people sitting one behind the other with the cello in the middle. It's super intimate. It's super technically savvy. It's super beautiful the way they shot it in this room and like all that jazz. I think they had that image. Yeah. And they're like, how do we get here? <laughs> and it also, it, the, the reason I brought up Jeffrey Epstein uh, as well was that the reveal of what they've done to Stephen Weber's character, uh, Anton, is, you know, they've entirely removed all of his limbs and they're basically putting him through a feeding tube and he just has to... Listen he, to them He play. just has to listen to them play from now they've on. They've sewed his eyes and mouth shut. Yeah, and I, and I think... The, the, the thing that I thought that was interesting, again, keeping Jeffrey Epstein in, in the back of my mind, is what does justice mean in, in a world of men who seemingly skirt above the law? And, I mean, yeah. That's you know, a... And death, and to me, the thing about Jeffrey Epstein's death, you know, like uh, I, I have no qualms about talking about that person uh, as a dead person, uh, is that his suicide allows him to escape from justice yet sure. again. And, sure. and and I and I so when when films like this are about death and killing and that sort of thing, I, I sort of find that a little bit dissatisfying. And what this film gives us You is, find the torture satisfying. I do. I find yeah. I, I will because because the question is is like what does justice look like? hundred percent. You know? Um I none of this is saying that this is a good film. No, no, no. It, it, <laughs> I want to. I really want to. This is a film that. that is that is attempting to deal with important, meaningful, interesting topics. Yeah, it just doesn't do that uh, effectively. No. Um, and I think I liked your terminology of "there's a good movie in here somewhere." Um, but 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 you know what though? But there's not. But 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 this this is it's it, this isn't a different cut or a you, different thing like. You need to be very charitable to 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 see the potential good in this because it, it is a potential. It's not a it's not a real and it good. does come down to the writing. Mm. Like it it just does. Mm. Um, the concept is interesting. Yeah, and the way that the concept could deal with the topics it's trying to deal with is something that would make me be like, I would like to see that. Right. Uh, it just misses it misses the mark on on a structural level, and it's, yeah, um, it despite I guess we'll sort of get into just my sort of final thoughts about it, but like despite these moments where like it did have me, yeah. Again, I got to say it's not that I enjoyed watching it, but I got what they were trying to make me feel on that bus sequence. <laughs> yeah, like that was the most effective sort of like I am in this place with them moment in cinema I've had for a very in a very long time. And it shocked me too because I I I was in it. And then once it was done, I was like, I didn't enjoy that. And I was like, but I was there, right? Like, ah, it was so strange that none of the rest of the movie remotely got me anywhere near there. Um, and I think it it does. It's a it it comes from a thing where I think they had a really cool concept. They had a couple cool things they wanted to get to through a certain point, and then they sort of it felt like built backwards. Uh, without filling in the gaps that were needed to talk about the more important stuff with a more apt or subtle or or caring hand. Um, and again, I loved your analogy, Shahir, and I'll toss it right back to you. Of this is is this a first? <laughs> no, I've I've agreed with you before, but like this is something I think really speaks to how I felt about the film. It has feed in different waters. Mm -hmm. Like it's trying to be B schlock, which if it was, 
the dialogue wouldn't be a problem. Right. But it's also trying to be something a little bit higher, this high horror we've gotten used to and sort of the, the get outs and the us's and a couple other th- sort of things, right? The Jordan Peels. Yeah, the Jordan. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But like and it's it, it's also saying it wants to do that. But because it's doing that and not that well and the B stuff not that well, it's just left sort of standing in two tubs. Yeah. Uh, and that makes <laughs> it for just sort of like a. Yeah, it's right. difficult to walk when you've got two tubs on your feet. Yeah, yeah, it's really, it's really hard. Put to that like... on the, put that on the box. <laughs> uh, there's no box. It's on Netflix. Um... Put that on the Netflix <laughs> thing. Um, yeah, I, I, I think it's unfortunate because I think there, there was potentially the sliver of a good movie in here somewhere. Um, I don't think it's here. Uh, uh, in the version that we eventually got, and I don't think it's—I I don't even think it's going to be there on a re-edit. No, but I think there was potentially somewhere I could see what the idea was, and there, there are bitter films that that deal with the sort of the schlockiness of it. You know, for example, Suspiria. Um, there are bitter films that deal with the consequences of revenge, like Old Boy. There are bitter films that deal with the violence of revenge, like Straw Dogs. Mm-hmm. Um, there are bitter films that play with structure in interesting ways, like Irreversible. Um, and and this film is none of those things. It has an interesting moment. And it, it's I guess what's unfortunate about it uh, for me is that we are... Living through, uh, you know, there's that phrase, we're living through history. Uh, and we're living through this sort of point that I think film scholars will be able to, like, look back upon and talk about uh, very clearly as a delineation between uh, everything prior to uh, Me Too and everything after Me Too. And and I think this film could have really been there at that moment. And it was like, it was basically at the right place, right time, wrong movie. And that's the unfortunate thing for me. Um, it feels like someone who walked up to a conversation at a party <laughs> and wants to be involved and says it's like one line of information about whatever topic everyone else is talking about and tries to be like, well, I, actually, uh, did you know that octopuses can shrink down to nine times their size or whatever? And then everyone's like, yep. And then like that moves on and they have nothing else to say. That <laughs> You're is, describing this movie... me at every party right no, now. Yeah. No, I was describing you specifically with all those smart robot people, but not every party. <laughs> and that is literally me at every party. Uh, no, that's not true. You come out and you just start dropping film facts and everyone's like, uh, okay. Yeah, yeah, can we shut up, please? We, we were talking about antiviral <laughs> medications. Exactly. Uh, but, you know, <laughs> Havael. <laughs> <laughs> we're only asking for one person to email us this week. We're feeling very needy. Uh, but... But anyway, this has been the only podcast about the film The Perfection. Uh, Shahir, when you're not being perfect, where can folks find you? Uh, people will never find me perfect in the real world. So you can go to my website at www.shahirdaud.com. That's S-H-A-H-I-R-D-A-U-D, where you will find me interjecting myself into, ter- into conversations in the inappropriate way, like I'm about to right now. Matt. What is the square root of 72? Like, who the fuck knows? <laughs> Math people know that. And where can people find you? No, <laughs> That I do know because I am a narcissist. Um, you can find me at M-A-T-T-H-E-W. I'm like, I can't do basic math anymore. M-A-T-T-H-E-W-K-R-O-L.com for my life and works. Also, Skeletor, the number four, P-R-E-Z on Instagram or PSN or Emperor M-S-K on Twitter. Also, please check out the good works we're doing over at Ye Old Extra Credits on the YouTube box. I believe by the time this episode comes out, we will be having an episode already out on diegetic versus non-diegetic U 
UI in video games, oh, which is fascinating. Yeah, uh, that's a, uh, that's it's a, a topic that I know very well. It's very, very interesting uh, by a great guest artist who's also a UI designer, Elisa Bishop. Okay. Uh, also following the next week, uh, which will be coming out, I guess, two days after this podcast, is something on The Prisoner's Dilemma oh, yeah. and how it can be used in game design. So check both of those out. I want to put, point out two corrections that I need to make before the end of this episode. Sure. One is the square root of 72 is 8.485. You can't correct <laughs> something you didn't answer before. That's true. Uh, well, actually, I asked you and you didn't answer. I, yeah, so then, just, then you giving, said, I don't know. Then you looked. I'm I just gave you the answer. Yeah. The other thing was I mentioned, uh, I earlier mentioned a filmmaker by the name of Philip Noyce. Uh, Noyce. And uh, attributed him to directing Invasion of the Body Snatchers, which he did not direct. It was Philip Kaufman who directed that. Uh, Philip Noyce didn't direct Hunt for the Red October, but he did direct Patriot Games, the second in the Jack Ryan film. So my confusion, my bad. I was close, but not, but no cigar, just like this movie. Can't get him this time, Raphael. <laughs> yeah, Raphael, eat that. Yeah. Yeah, see if you, yeah, yeah, ask Raphael who directed Invasion of the Body Snatchers without looking at IMDb. You just did. I know, but I'm just so saying. So now there's that... two questions yeah. for you. One is highbrow, one is real <laughs> lowbrow. Uh, but for everyone else... Well, no, Rafael can have a great week, too, but uh, everyone else doesn't have to owe it. Rafael doesn't owe us anything. I really want your approval, Rafael. That's what I'm getting at here. Uh, everyone, have a lovely His week. His ego is like inflate. Uh, this is the other thing about Rafael. He's a great dude. He's got a huge ego because he's good because at Because he can he, back it up. That's he can back not an ego. <laughs> you read the man's resume, and I was like, I am a cartoon on the internet. I could just imagine him right now, though, and it's insufferable. Rafael, no, email it's us not. <laughs> it's not insufferable. You are a, an incredibly intelligent person, and I respect you. You just want to win him back. What do you mean? I didn't lose him. I never lost you. Hey, but you know what? I hope I didn't lose any of you either. We'll see you next week. Bye-bye. Rafael, email us. <laughs> We've never gotten so specific. You look perfect tonight.